Hi everyone, my name is Glenn Henry, founder and project director for Sprite Run Studios, an independent game development studio based out of Kingston, Jamaica. Now, as I began my journey and honed my craft, I realized that, really and truthfully, it's kind of lonely. So, I reached out to my fellow creatives to figure out exactly how they're doing and what drives them. Um, that is this podcast, a series of interviews to provide knowledge, motivation, and inspiration to my fellow Caribbean creatives. Uh, hope you enjoy. Thank you. I just say, yo, I just gonna shoot this with my camera right now. Yeah. Hey everyone, today we have the very first episode of season two. I know it's been a while, but I've had to take some time off to get my feet back underneath me and release my latest project, Grim and Tonic. And I'll be linking that on various social media platforms. That's not the purpose of this podcast. So for the first episode of season two, we are wrapping up the crossover post with Creative Vibes. Um, today we have the host of that show in the hot seat, Kevin Jackson. Kevin is a illustrator and animator and is very well known in the industry. He is the leading figure behind the Jamaica Animation Network and all-around great guy. Um, I hope you enjoyed the episode and let me know what you think. for like 15 years and database administrator mm-hmm. and at some point I decided to make the switch to film and animation and that kind of came from the more introverted side of me and you know that's kind of what sparked me having to learn how to become an extrovert so that I could kind of push that side of me out and what I mean by that is when I was in school coming up, I was always drawing, drawing in the back of my notebooks, mm-hmm. um, drawing on any piece of loose paper I could find, just, you know, really, really loved drawings. And in high school, I used to make comics. And then somewhere along the line, I wouldn't say I gave up art, but I stopped pursuing it academically. Mm-hmm. And it kind of just became this very on and off hobby. Uh, through the rest of high school and early university days. And I guess during the pressure of studying electronics and computer science, the drawing just kind of stopped. Mm -hmm. And I took up writing when I started working uh, because the first job that I got, they didn't have anything for me to do for two weeks. And an intern there was just like, yo, give me something to do, give me something to do, like give me something to edit and. I said, all right, let me, let me just like write a story and have her like edit it because I have all these cool ideas in my head and I wanted to kind of get back into the whole comic book thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started really, really enjoying writing. And it eventually evolved when I started meeting some filmmakers and they wanted writers and I started working with them. And then eventually like going on set, I was like, wow, this is a very fascinating job. And, uh, you know, I just got sucked into it. And the animation came later on when it was like someone presented that animation now is easier because you can do it on your computer. Mm-hmm. And I thought, boy, you know, what What better way to try and get the artistic juices flowing again mm-hmm. than to try and jump into animation? And 
yeah, somehow I've managed to shed the computer science side of me and I'm now fully invested in the animation and film world. And, all right. Well, just hearing your, your backstory there, it, it's really interesting because I, I, it really, it, it almost mirrors, mirrors my own experience. Like my entire life, I've kind of been straddling the line between traditional art and, com, and, and technology and computers. So hearing, hearing that, uh, experience echoed in your life is actually pretty inspiring. Um, how do you think you, you ended up at that point? Where, did you fall out of love with computing? Um, or is it that you just found that it, it didn't scratch that itch? All right. So um, I, I realized that everything in my life stems from when I was in prep school. And, and this is why, like, you know, I don't remember who said it, but someone said, if you're struggling to figure out what you should do with your life, mm -hmm. think back to when you were a child and think back to what you loved doing, right? And uh, that's kind of what happened to me because I always loved drawing. I loved watching TV. I used to act out every movie that I watched, you know, like verbatim, word mm -hmm. for word. You know, I'd be correcting people online and say, no, that's not what he said. He said this and he said it like that and, you know. And never, ever thought of how that could be a career, right? So mm -hmm. when I was growing up, there were, two, there were two people that I looked at and thought, these are probably the careers that I would go down. One is MacGyver, the other one is Indiana Jones. <laughs> and with MacGyver, I was just like, yeah, um, I, I don't know why, but I considered MacGyver an inventor. Oh, so he, in he's head, a problem solver. Yeah, he's a problem solver, right? Mm -hmm. But in my head, he was an inventor. So I was like, I want to be like, like, like Mike MacGyver and be an inventor, you know? You're watching things like, like, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I was like, oh, yeah, man, I want to be an inventor. Work with electronics and solve world problems. And my backup plan was, if I can't do that, I'll be an archaeologist and look for dinosaurs and look for ancient artifacts. And, you know, it looks like a cool life. And then, you know, as you grow up, you realize, you know archaeologists don't exactly lead that much of an exciting life. Like they, they get a, a paintbrush and they just kind of brush off dirt off stones until they find something, which mm -hmm. might take years. So I was like, all right, let's skip geology. Mm -hmm. And then when I started university, I was actually doing electronics and I was very excited about electronics because in my head, I'm thinking I'm going to be creating gadgets or robots or whatever the case is and solving world problems. And, you know, one of the things that used to fascinate me was like electric cars. I actually wanted to dive into that. But at University of the West Indies, the electronics they offered was not electronic engineering. It was um, just, you know, straight electronics, which is a completely different thing, apparently. Now they offer engineering. But um, long and short is that as I was coming to the end of studying electronics, I started to realize more and more that it involved programming. Mm -hmm. And anybody who knows me during my days at university knows that I hate programming. Like I failed first year ComSci like three times. Oh. Right. And it wasn't until I was finishing electronics and I realized that I needed to understand code because when I was inspecting all of the, the job descriptions in the newspaper and elsewhere, all I kept seeing was most people to code, most know this programming language, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, crap, I need to learn how to code. So I went back and said, all right, I'm going to take this course seriously. And, you know, yeah. And, you know, somehow from that, from once I passed that course, no, I went on to doing the rest of the computer science degree and doing well at it. And I started my job programming. And while I was programming, I just kept thinking, 
man, this is uh, this is a really boring job. <laughs> you know, like yes, you do get the excitement of when you when you crack that code and you mm-hmm. finish that application. Yeah, you feel great. But doing it, there's some people who love coding. I don't like coding. Because the thing is that I'm a storyteller at heart, and there's no story in the code unless it's game programming, right? Which is why game programming is the only thing that really appeals to me. If I was to get back into coding, mm-hmm. it would have to be either game programming or some kind of virtual reality or augmented reality thing. It mm-hmm. couldn't be accounting up, right? Yeah, I spent, okay. And there was one job I spent years working with a team programming a, a pension app. Mm-hmm. While it was interesting to learn how pensions work and try to put that into code, it was immensely boring. I can it imagine. Was really, I can imagine. Really I, can, I can imagine. I definitely respect that. Yeah, uh, man. And what happened was that in one of the jobs that I had, which I think was one of the better programming jobs, which is when I realized I actually prefer database coding to application coding and database management. Mm-hmm. Um, I was maybe 27 staring down the barrel of 30 and I said to myself what do I want to do with my life because this is not it and I was kind of being pushed into management and I didn't like how the managers were at the company they were very sharkish they had no emotions very cold-hearted people and I was like I don't want to be that and I said you know what do you want to do if not this what do you want to do and you know I dug deep and eventually realized I'm still interested in film. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm still interested in creating stories. And I said, all right, here what? I'm giving you three years to break into the film industry. If when you on your 30th birthday, if you cannot break into the film industry, even in a small way, then you need to go do an MBA and become a manager and just cut out this foolishness. <laughs> and it was a scary three years because like approaching that 30th birthday, I was like, man, I'm still not in yet. I'm still not in yet. And then something happened and I don't remember what, oh, I had gotten a job working on America's Next Top Model as a production assistant. Mm-hmm. And not just any production assistant, as a production assistant to the second assistant director, which means I get very, very close to the director. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was fascinating because you get to see how the production works and especially on a professional level and even though i did even though you can't say at that point yeah i made it that was a big step that's a big step that's worked. tangible that's exactly. uh, you would learn a lot from that learn a lot from it but not only that the fact that i was even selected for that mm-hmm. means that i was making an impression in the film industry Definitely. because not any and anybody could have gotten recruited for that so that now was for me i was just like like because when i put it this way this is one thing that um i know usually at the end of these things you ask you know what would be your advice or whatever but one of the things that i have to give some advice now if you really really think you should be doing something Mm -hmm. don't tell your naysayers right and i say that because when i told my friends and my family i wanted to get into film Everyone was trying to discourage me. Everyone was trying to discourage me and trying to encourage me to do an MBA. Mm-hmm. And I don't blame them because I'm telling you that I'm going to go and do something that doesn't make money. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like I, I also, don't, I don't think the system, the support system really and truthfully exists, at least in Jamaica right now, meaning right, exactly. people don't necessarily understand the film industry or the animation industry 
and yeah, opportunities and what opportunities are laid there. They 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 really understand very um well lack of a better word uh direct tracks of management. Um, exactly, there's to, no exactly in Jamaica. Yeah. There's no. I mean, there's it's developing now, but it's still a little bit of a far away out. Yeah. Because when I started, there was no degree program in film. Exactly. Right. I'd have to go abroad, and I didn't have the money to go abroad. Um, but like literally, after a while, I had to just pretend I wasn't doing film, right? Mm-hmm. And like tell them when I went on a video shoot, you know, like they would be, people would be like, "Hey, we're going." Nigger this week, can you come in? Oh, no, I can't come. Uh, you know, I have work, you know, some coding stuff to do. Mm-hmm. When really and truly like running off and doing film. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is that when you hear that negativity reinforced over and over, it starts to bleed into your brain. Mm-hmm. And you start to question yourself and say, yo, for real, what am I doing? All right. When I got that American Next Top Model thing and, you know, got a few other things after that, people started to look and go, yo, you're really doing well in this thing. Like, mm-hmm. yo. And the naysayers started to support me. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that kind of helped. But trust me, before that point, mm-hmm. many, many times after having some talks with them, I'm like, yeah, for real, maybe I should just focus on being a manager and, mm-hmm. you know, forget this thing. Yeah. But that, that's kind of what it was like, you know. Wow. Wow. Well, that intro really came in heavy right there with the life lessons and everything. And... Uh, yeah, it's important to kind of stick to your guns and, I guess, well, believe in yourself first and also kind of curate uh, who you surround yourself with, like build up your tribe. Because yes. despite how much confidence and how much optimism and enthusiasm you have, if you don't have that support, at least an external support, be it a family member, a best friend, a partner, uh, it's, it's hard to stand Yo, trust me, you, you you make some excellent points there because that's one thing. I have to give thanks to, to my wife, you know, Roxanne Jackson, because she's believed in me from day one. She's never had an issue with me pursuing film. She's never had an issue with me pursuing animation. She's mm-hmm. very proud of the work I'm doing. And trust me, I, I, not many people can say that they have a partner like that. Mm-hmm. And it's important to have a partner like that <laughs> because... <laughs> You know, you, you, sometimes you could end up with somebody who'd be like, yo, you need to make some money, stop this foolishness, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she was there for me every step of the way. You know, she's seen all my animations. She'll come by and say, what you working on now, you know? Mm-hmm. And the whole building up the tribe thing is very important because I can tell you, I still have all my core friends, right? Or majority of my core friends from back in the day, right? But I have a whole slew of new friends now, you know, as in... I, because I'm no longer in the programming world per se, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not in that sort of crowd anymore. I'm more into the film and animation crowd. Mm-hmm. And it's important because like one of the things for me, um, why a lot of my friends started to support is, and to be honest, I do have, a, like my, my best friend has always, always supported. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's always said, yo, I'm not saying don't do this thing, you know, but if you're going to do it, just, you know, jump in, get deep and, you know, fail quick, mm-hmm. you know, find out if you really want to do this thing or not. And trust me, when I say it's like night and day when you, you make the switch, the switch is hard. The switch is very, very hard. I mean, like, you ever jump off a Rick's Cafe? Yes, once I cut my toe. 
<laughs> but you remember though that, that 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 like that the first few seconds when you're trying to convince yourself to jump out. Oh yeah, because I had to. I ran up and then the last second your body's like no. Yeah, exactly. You have to build yourself up and then even after you jump, you're like. Yep. Yep. You're like, yep. what did I do? What did I do? What did I? Am I right. That is exactly what it's like because trust me when I tell you, I hopscotched the whole leaving the nine to five and going deep into this thing. And like every time I was just like, yo, people are saying, yo, you need to fully commit. And I'm like, yeah, but what if I fully commit and, you know, I end up broke and living on the street. And it's like every time I want to jump ship, I pull back mm-hmm. because, you know, you're thinking to yourself, yo, you know, <laughs> I have a safety net here. Why am I jumping off into danger? Mm-hmm. And the the thing is that I never, ever felt comfortable as a programmer and even though i know even though i I could solve any problem with programming Mm -hmm. i knew i was not as great as programmers who love to program Mm -hmm. right while i might take a night to to figure something out you know within a few minutes they're figuring it out so like yeah i'm definitely not as inclined to it as them Mm -hmm. and uh, even in meetings i was always uncomfortable in meetings talking about you know uh, the whole software engineering stuff and more so the business side of things like the, the business side of the companies mm-hmm. those are the, like the most sometimes i'm in the meetings and i'm like huh what 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 are you saying you know all this weird terminology <laughs> when i shifted to film and animation i felt so much more in my element even a guy who used to manage me uh, my cousin used to manage me at one company and he he said that when he saw me directing mm-hmm. he was like he couldn't believe it was me because I was so in control and in command and, you know, versus when he sees me in meetings and I'm looking like, you know, that soldier in the middle of the war and bombs are exploding all around him. And I'm just like in the foxhole going, oh, God, when is this going to be over <laughs> kind of situation? So yeah. that was his realization that, yeah, I think you belong here. And it, it's true. I feel less stressed out. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm still stressed because you have deadlines to meet. Mm-hmm. It's a stress that I prefer over the stress that I had with, with, with code. Cause you program something, it works, you test it, you test it, you test it, it works. You ship it off. And then somebody goes, Hey, I'm putting this thing and it's, it's not submitting. And you're like, huh? When you get it back, you're like, what did they do wrong? And when you watch them, you go, okay, well, I, I would have never expected that in the area that says, you know, dollar amount that you would put ABC. Yeah. Okay, fine. Give it back to me. Let me fix it. Kind of situation, you know. Mm-hmm. But man, I felt much more comfortable in film, and that was also the, one of the biggest indicators for me. The fact that I was in when I was programming, I was the type of stressed out where I felt like I was going crazy. Mm-hmm. With film, is the type of stressed out where you're just like, all right, let me sleep it off and get up tomorrow and fix it again and, and go at it again. You know. Definitely. Definitely, I can appreciate that. Um, all right, cool. So we now know who you are. What are you up to now? What is, you are at Nivik Nivik Productions? All right, so I call myself Nivik Pro, right? Yeah. Because that's when I was contemplating, um, contemplating my, my, my business name. Mm-hmm. Um, I currently work with Night Vision Media. Mm-hmm which is a friend of mine's company. It's a creative design company, and they brought me on board to do the management of animation productions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, of course, I, I freelance as well. 
Okay. Under the Monica Nivek Pro. Mm-hmm. The right now right now I'm mostly working on animated commercials and public service announcements. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also working on my my own intellectual property. Mm-hmm. I have one called A Beacon Maroons, mm-hmm. which is about a an enslaved prince from Ghana. He and his sister got captured and enslaved in Jamaica. And his sister is pregnant. He, being of royalty, doesn't want his niece or nephew born into slavery. So he's broken her out and is, you know, trying to escape. But during their escape, they get separated. And realizing that he can't fight the powers that be on his own, has to find the Maroons, or he comes up on the Maroons and convinces them to help him, you know, rescue his sister. Mm-hmm. And that's something, obviously, set in the past, and it's a mixture of fiction and, and reality, you know, in the sense that we're, and the main character is not one of the Maroons that we know. It's not Kojo, it's not Kwashi, it's not um any of those guys this is a fictitious character i've created and the reason why i've decided to go with a fictitious character is because i wanted to explore um slavery in as many ways as i want to mm-hmm. without having to stick to the the history the history of it so it allows right. you to uh, look at the material from different angles uh, as right new. all right cool yeah i wanted us to look at the maroons as a third party um, would look at them, you know, like, what if you were during slavery days and you met the Maroons, what would that be like kind of situation? Also, the fact that during my research for, on the Maroons, I realized that, one, you had some Maroons that traveled, meaning you had some Maroons that, you know, went to other islands, mm-hmm. whether it was like, you know, doing a skirmish and they had to escape and the only way to escape was by sea. Um, one of them in particular went to Haiti and helped to some to overture with 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 um, the civil war over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I heard about you know maroons even in like Florida and Southern America, etc. And I was saying that you know I would love to explore that as well. So having a fictitious character, I can do anything with him. You know, I could after the after the rescue, maybe he and his his sister tried to go back to Africa and on their way to Africa, they end up in another island and meeting other Maroons, sort of thing. So that's where I'm hoping to take that and mm-hmm. have another IP working on called Melian and Delhi, which is a children's cartoon, which is going to be, I don't want to say it's going to be like Dora, mm-hmm. because I don't want it as repetitive as Dora. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's the same kind of learning mixed with adventure. Mm-hmm. Same target audience? Yeah, same target audience. And with, uh, I'm trying to make it as Jamaican as possible without losing global appeal. All right. Yeah, so those are the things that I'm working on right now. That's interesting. Those sound uh, really interesting, especially Abiko, because uh, I know that the entire maroon culture, even as a Jamaican, maybe it's probably the region I grew up with and what I grew up with. It still is interesting, but it has always been harder to penetrate or understand or right. get information about. And it's always funny to me that you have to go abroad to get this information when you, <laughs> you are here. Right, right, right. And, well, honestly, you know, one of the things that... A lot of Jamaicans don't do, and myself included, but I do plan to change that come come January, mm-hmm. is that we have various maroon tours and they're very, very educational. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that we should 
try to attend. You know, yes, it's out of town, but what place, what better place to learn your history than from the Maroons themselves? Definitely. And I also bought a book. I, I, I don't have it in front of me, so I can't tell you the exact name, mm -hmm. but it's about the Maroons and it's written by a Maroon um, ancestor. And it's, it covers the Maroons from the Spanish War come up because I don't think most people know this, but how the Maroons came about, you know, we were enslaved by the Spanish first. Mm -hmm. And then during an English invasion, the Spanish were losing. So they offered freedom to any slaves that helped them fight off the British. And pretty much the slaves helped the Spanish fight off the British. But then when they lost, the slaves were like, yo, hear what? This, this is not our circus and definitely not our monkeys. So let's head to them hills. And they ran off to the hills, met up with the, the, the Taino. Mm -hmm. Some of us know them as Arawaks. And basically they, they, they just hid there because they were just like, yo, the, the, the slave master them dead. There's no reason for us to hang around. Let's mm -hmm. just hightail it out of here. And, you know, when the British came, the British eventually discovered that these um, slaves were hiding in the mountains and, you know, tried to capture them. But that wasn't working because, I mean, you, you get a taste of slavery, you're yeah. not trying to go back to slavery. Yeah. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, they would fight the British and win. And eventually the British were just like, all right, yo, here what? We don't stay over there, so are we stay over here, right? You don't interfere with us, we won't interfere with you. And the Marines are like, cool, no problem. But, you know, eventually, like, some of the Maroons would be trying to rescue slaves, and the British are just like, yo, that, 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 no, that's not working for us. And, you know, they had their little wars, and most people know about the treaty that got signed. Mm -hmm. and, you know, some of the Maroons were upset over the treaty, some weren't, and that this the Maroons them kind of start split up because it's just like yeah I don't like the fact that we signed this treaty, etc. Because when you're thinking about it, on one hand, one set of them is thinking we are free because we escaped from the slave masters. We should be helping others. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, politically speaking, you know the leader is looking and going, yeah, but while we're fighting off the British, all the way all the way are dead. I'm trying to protect my people, so. <laughs> You know, let's sign this treaty where if we, if any slaves just happen to come our way, we send them back because for a peaceful life, mm -hmm. you know. So you kind of you understand both sides, but at the same time, you're like, uh, yeah, but yeah, that yeah, book goes through what's the best for all. Yeah, man, the book goes through all of that. The book goes through some of their traditions, food-wise, dance-wise, music-wise, etc. Mm -hmm. I'm still reading through it. But there are ways for us to learn. There are lots of museums that we don't utilize in Jamaica. You know, we, we, we really should utilize. I mean, when we go to England or America, sometimes the first thing we do is go to a museum. Mm -hmm. We don't go to the museums out here, you know? Mm -hmm. So. All right. All right, cool. All right, so know who you are, know what you're doing. Uh, but how do you do what you do? Can you give us a little summary for a rundown? For your day All right, today? All right, sure. Um, let me tell you. I'm, I'll, I'll tell you about the animation side first mm -hmm. and then the film side because um, a lot of people think that I'm more animation than film and I tell them that no, that's not really the case. The thing is that with animation, I can do it on my own anytime I feel like it. Mm -hmm. Whereas with film, I have to wait on other people. Mm -hmm. So the film productions are... There's a longer waiting period in between. 
Okay. Yeah. So with with animation, what I tend to do for my personal projects mm -hmm. is I start with a script. Mm -hmm. I always with a script. Okay. And then after I get the script out of the way, I start conceptualizing the, the characters, whether through sketching or you know looking at references and getting different ideas together. And you know, once I've come up with a design that I like, I now start to to storyboard the idea, and that way, we, during the storyboarding session, I can analyze the camera angles that I want and the the, the you know the, the the poses that I want for the character. Mm -hmm. Then sometimes I'll do an animatic if I have the time. If I don't, then I might jump straight into the the animation. Mm -hmm. um, generally speaking, I do happen to, 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 to do everything myself, but more and more I'm getting to the point where I'm like dishing out work to people. So I'll have somebody else concentrate on the backgrounds um, when I can, especially commercial-wise, mm -hmm. you know, somebody else concentrate on the characters, then I might concentrate on the rigging of the characters and the animating. And that approach works best because the less you have to do, the more you can focus on one task and make that one particular task shine as bright as it can. Divide and um, Yeah. So when I get into production now, mm -hmm. this goes for both commercial and um, um, personal projects. When I get into production now, one of the first things that I try to get done is the audio, whether scratch audio mm -hmm. or official audio. Mm -hmm. um, the... The, the audio parts mm -hmm. can be just as it's it's not as hard as the animating part, but it can be just as tedious in the sense that you're recording over and over and over and just trying to get everything right. Because the the thing about animation is animation thrives on exaggeration, mm -hmm. and most people don't know it. But the next time you watch a cartoon, listen to the way they talk, and ask yourself if you would accept a live action person talking like that. And your chances are your answer will be no. Because there's just something like if you talk normally mm -hmm. and you animate that, it feels very underwhelming. Right? So you kind of have to play up the acting a little bit mm -hmm. so that it comes across, you know, with, with the character. And I would say the more zany the character looks, then the more zany the acting has to be. Um, then I get into... What, what my daily life would be like, like when I'm in the middle of production, mm -hmm. turning on a computer, reviewing notes, whether it's the client sends me some notes mm -hmm. or I've written some notes for particular scenes. I will load up the scenes if they're, if they're already created and, you know, continue applying those, those notes while I'm animating. Mm -hmm. And I'm constantly looking... Like when I'm animating, I'm looking at certain details and asking myself, does it feel right? Does it feel right? And one piece of advice that I've gotten in the past, this was for film, and it more had to do with lip syncing, but I've applied it to everything, which is if it doesn't feel right, then something's wrong with it. Even if you can't identify what's wrong with it, once it doesn't feel right, then something is wrong with it and you need to address it. Um, a lot of times we look and go, yo, I, I can't see anything wrong with it. And you just say, All right, you know what, let me just run with it because I can't see anything wrong with it. But you feel like something's wrong with it. 
chances are when the client gets it, the client is going to feel like something's wrong with it as well. And then you're going to have to slave over it again. So kind of try to do several passes. When you're animating, let's say, for example, you're animating somebody walking across the screen and then jumping into a pool. It, you have several passes to make. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have to do the pass where, okay, I'm moving him across the screen. I'm, I'm, you know, is the speed I'm moving him across the screen look right? Okay, great. All right, I'm going to move the legs. As he's moving, moving the legs and you play it back, you're looking to see, you know, is there any foot sliding happening? Mm-hmm. Yes, no, adjust the speed accordingly. All right, then you do another pass animating the hands. Then you do another pass animating the head. Then you do another pass saying, all right, let me add some eye blinks. Then you do another pass saying, okay, let me make the hair bounce back and forth. Then, it, then once you're satisfied with the walk, you know, concentrate on the jump and you're doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me do a pass of, you know, making the character go up in the air and then down. Okay, let me make the character bend his legs. Okay, let me let the character bend his back. Uh, move the hair. Do this, do that. And, you know, just keep doing that. So a lot of times, um, why I'm going through that long-winded explanation is because a lot of times people will say, hey, uh, how much you charge for a minute of animation? And I said, boy, I don't charge by the minute. I have to see the script first. Mm-hmm. The script will tell me how much work needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And then you're animating a scene, which in your client's mind is three seconds. It shouldn't take you that long. But it's like three seconds can be a long time depending on how much is happening in the scene and how many passes I have to make to ensure that it looks good. So daily, I, that, that's me. You know, just animating, animating, animating until it, it looks decent and then putting it together. Yeah. Um, and the days I'm not animating, sometimes it's client relations, you know, going to meetings with a client or talking back and forth emails with a client and trying to hit compromises or just trying to understand what the client wants. That's a part of the job as well. It's not just animating. Um, as my team grows bigger, then I'll find somebody to do that role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, like I said earlier, there's no animation is young. There's no direct pipeline for certain things yet. So you don't have the resources to just have separate roles. You know, you'd have to be you'd have to get a multi-million dollar deal in order to say, all right, we have a producer, we have a um, a director, we have an assistant director, we have a um, story editor, we have a, you know, we don't have enough money for that. So you find that you yourself have to kind of pace. Um, and as I said, with commercial work, I'll hire somebody to do the backgrounds, hire somebody to do the character designs, hire somebody to do props so that I don't have to be working on that. Uh, because it, it's, it's hell if I'm that, that process I described to you, mm-hmm. where a guy's walking across the screen. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hell if I have to do that as well as draw the pool and the pool deck and the pool chairs and the background, you know, and design the characters. It, it's, it's, it takes even longer if I have to do all of that. I can imagine. Which, I remember I had to, I had taken on, the one and only time I've taken on freelance animation work, I had to do a two-minute uh, intro, intro, presentation intro. And the client had an entire skit planned out and me in my naivety decided to take it on, do on the work, did some roughs, did a rough animation in Photoshop 
showed it to her. They, they were pleased with it and I tried to fix it up and get it off. And that two minutes represented what? Almost 15 or more hours of work <laughs> by itself. And it was a really rough, really simple animation. Even stuff as simple as getting sound, getting music, getting sound bites, yeah. and, and integrating that. It, it, it can really explode the work, and it, and I guess this is hopefully this is something that will become a bit more common knowledge as the industry continues to develop, at least locally, um, because I can definitely understand the pushback or the arguments that you might get with potential clients or active clients that don't yeah, fully grasp. Mean- I mean, exactly. And I mean, before before I get to my film process, I mean, I have to mention a an animation I worked on last year as a director. So this was the first time I worked on an animation with a full blown team, mm-hmm. right? And basically, JAFTA, the Jamaica Film and Television Association, uh, every year they have a program called Propeller, which is a script to screen program where um, you submit a treatment. You get narrowed down to five persons. The five persons have to create a script based on that treatment. And then they get funding to create the film. Mm-hmm. And one lady who had never done a short film before, she had never written a script before, she had never animated, decided that she wanted to do this story as an animation. Now, she entered Propeller in 2017. She got through to the top 10, but never made it to the top five. Mm-hmm. And I remember her asking me, you know, if she gets into the top five, will I come on board to help her with animation? And I was just like, ain't no way you get an animation for that money in that space of time. And she approached me again in 2018. And as even though I still had the same apprehensions, mm-hmm. I decided to be on board because I said, boy, you know, if there is any chance to demonstrate that animation needs money to look good, and that's, you know, different people can work together and how they can work together. This is that opportunity. But in the back of my mind, I kept thinking there's no way she's going to get this money because even the even the propeller committee that has to decide, mm-hmm. chances are they're going to think this is too little money and too little time for you guys to do this. Mm-hmm. And she got selected in the top 10 again, which I wasn't surprised by because she got through the previous year. Mm-hmm. And then we had to go do this interview. And that interview was just a, you're sure you can do this kind of interview. Mm-hmm. I, I went with her and I had they, they threw some real hard questions at, at me, but I had to convince them that, look, I know what I'm doing. We can get it done within the time, within the money, because I know everybody in the industry. So mm-hmm. don't worry on yourself. And I'm thinking, yeah, man, they've... they've they're going to see right through me and just give us a hard no. <laughs> when the, the meeting came and they're announcing the winners, they went through the four, went through four names and our name never called. And I was just like, yeah, I can go home now. And then the fifth name was Ina Satirova. And I'm, I'm, I, I'm there literally like walking through the door and then I stop and I go, wait, hold on, let me just call her name. And I'm like, oh, crap, we actually have to do this. Wow. Um, hmm. And then we had to go get some animators together. Some of them came from GSW. Them, um, some of them were from UA, UTEC, VTDI, up in Papine, which mm-hmm. is a heart um, institution. And 
the planning, you know, the planning, the planning, the planning, a lot of planning. Like the more you plan, the easier the work gets, right? But planning can be frustrating. And while we were animating, right? this is where now I come back to the point. While we were animating, one of the things that I had to constantly do is quell Ina's emotions because she's just like, yo, why is this scene taking so long? Why is this scene taking so long? Like, we're not going to meet the deadline. And I'm like, look, what you want is going to take long because she wanted a very realistic and elegant looking animation. And I'm like, what you want takes time because a lot of details have to be manipulated. Mm-hmm. Right? You're not, you you decided not to choose cartoony and slapstick where we could get away with very, um, you know, fast motion. You want this very slow Disney-esque like thing. So holy, you know, focus on details. And, and she was fretting, 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 fretting because she's looking at it and like deadline is two months away and we're still not halfway through the animation. But I kept telling her, look, as the animation goes along, it gets faster because you have more assets to reuse as time goes on. Mm-hmm. Right? Once the backgrounds are finished, you can use those backgrounds in a multitude of ways. Once you have a character walk, if the character has to walk five times, you can reuse the walk. If the character has to turn, you can reuse and whatever. And she saw it. But the good th- the good thing was that she trusted in me to guide her. Mm. Had she been a typical client, we probably would have been warring. And, you know, there'd probably be threats of lawsuits because she wouldn't have been seeing the progress that she would have expected in a certain amount of time. And that's the thing. A lot of people don't realize that like, you have to have a lot of patience to the animation. Definitely. Yeah, but oh, the f- film-wise, I'll be quicker with the film. <laughs> film-wise, again, starts with a script. Um, the and some of the processes are the same, but like with 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 film, sometimes we tend it's ideal to do a storyboard, but sometimes we tend not to do the storyboard. We do a shot list instead, and we break down the shoot schedule. We cast the actors do some rehearsals with the actors um, to try to fine-tune the performances. Get We have to find locations. So is, is there similarities and differences in the sense that with animation, I know this was one of the things I had to teach Ina, is that animation is not like film, right? In film, we can say, hey, we have a beach scene. All right, cool, which beach we're going to use? Yo, let's go to Fort Clarence. All right, cool, we'll go to Fort Clarence and we'll put the camera down I will find an angle we like. I will shoot whatever is in the scene, right? With animation now, I have to even be asking her, yo, um, what color you want this shell to be? Do you want the beach to have like some water coming up on the beach or are we further up on the beach where there's no water and there's some coconut trees? You want almond trees too? You want this? You want Is the sky blue or is it... Is it dusk and we have to kind of orange up the sky? And for her, that was frustrating because she was just like, yo, she's not used to this, where every single solitary thing is, every sand grain is a decision, right? With film, you set the camera down and whatever the beach looks like, that's what it looks like. You don't have to put an almond tree in the shot. You don't have to put a coconut tree in the shot. Mm-hmm. The film days, this is what I love about film, right? Film days are exciting to me because film days usually mean getting up at five or four or five in the morning, right? Getting dressed, 
heading off to location, right? Setting up cameras, setting up lights, all of that jazz, makeup artists doing makeup, whatever, whatever. And it's, there's this there's a strange military, <laughs> I don't even know how to put it, but there's this strange military group unit kind of feel to it, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get to shooting and why I like it is because, yes, you're doing work, but then at the same time, you're watching pieces of a story being made and you're getting a glimpse of what the story is going to look like before it's finished editing, right? Which is, which is very exciting, especially because it's not like animation where you're there directly and you're animating and you kind of know what it's going to look like in the end. With film, you have an idea of what it's going to look like, but you're still not too sure what it's going to look like because the colorist has to touch it, the mm-hmm. editor is going to touch it and all of that stuff. Okay. But the the process with film is a different level of stress in the sense that you start at five in the morning mm-hmm. you probably go all day up to sometimes eight ten midnight two in the morning you know it can be a lot of stress right it can be a lot of stress but it's, you know still exciting but a lot of stress when it gets really tiring is when you have to do that like three days back to back to back or five days back to back you know, but that process is interesting. Afterwards, you come back, you're looking through the footage, you're putting together the footage on the timeline and editing and creating a story and seeing if all you filmed was worthwhile. Sometimes you're going to end up in arguments because you're going to be like, yo, I told you we never have enough time for this shot and say this shot don't look good and whatever, whatever, whatever. Or yo, we should have gotten this shot instead. And, you know, but that's pretty much the film process. And I think that is, that is the bane of the creative work. After that comes the harder part, which is what you're going to do with the film. How are you going to distribute the film, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's a different kettle of fish entirely. Yeah, man, a different kettle of fish entirely. I mean, uh, it's really interesting because uh, you seem to be drawing from a lot of your life experience right now even though you mentioned that you didn't necessarily want to go down the management track directly, yeah. I can imagine that a lot of the skills that would have made you a good candidate for a manager are translating over into uh, into your job as a director. I'm glad you brought that up. The reason I'm glad you brought that up is because every time people said to me, um, when they finish school, they don't want to work for anybody. They will just want to jump straight into working for themselves. Mm-hmm. I always said to them, saying, yo, consider working for other people for even two years, right? Mm-hmm. I know two years sound like a long time, but two years blow up fast. And I said, consider it simply because you learn a certain level of discipline, right? Mm-hmm. You learn a certain level of, of, of um, what do you call it, time management. Mm-hmm. You learn this management on a whole. You learn a lot of little soft skills that you're not going to pick up in school. Mm-hmm. And those things are important because I would say one of the reasons why I am still in this business and still um, called on for things is because of my work ethic, mm-hmm. right? I believe that, well, I've been told that a lot of times they'll call me first because they, they can deal with the the creatives who are very, very talented, mm-hmm. but then they're not going to answer their phone. Or they're very talented, but then they're not going to send an email update. 
you know, and those things will bug people. Because if you ask somebody to do something for you, and it ha- it happens to me too. Sometimes I hire creatives, and I'm expecting an update because I need to give a client an update. And I'm calling, I'm emailing, I'm WhatsApp messaging, and I'm like, why is this person not answering the message? Why is this, like, I need an update? Mm-hmm. And you tend to not want to hire them again because you're just like, yo, if you can't understand, say, you need to give me an update. Even if the update is, boy, my granny dead, and I never do nothing. Tell me so that I can figure out something to tell the client, right? I can't look on the client and say, I don't know what's going on, right? And I find that working in a formal setting mm-hmm. builds that. It can't be built in a school. And the reason I say it can't be built in a school, and this is something that I'm learning now that I'm a teacher, is when you're teaching people for a while, eventually they get used to you. And they don't take you as seriously as a job. So you might say to them, hey, this assignment is due November 14, right? They're going to look and go, they're going to try and finish it for the November 14, but then November 14, they come and they say, sir, I can beg an extension because X, Y, Z. And you're looking at them and saying, why didn't you ask me for an extension two days ago? Why, why are you asking me for an extension on the deadline, right? I can't look on a client and say, on the dead, deadline date that they want something. Hey, can give me an extension? I have, I have to notify them before. Exactly. Right? But students feel they can get away with it because a lot of times the school will fight on their behalf. The school will say, because the school wants them to pass, the school will be like, All right, give them an extension or give them a makeup, whatever, or just take off five marks. I can, definitely, uh, I can definitely relate to that that um, experience. Sorry to interrupt you there. But like I can definitely relate to that. But there's another aspect of problem that we probably well I personally look at it from. Um as a student, you are a customer. Right. You've paid for that and there's a certain uh, for lack of a better word, entit- entitlement and expectations that come to it, even if they're not if even if they don't acknowledge it. Um, right. If you are working in an industry, in a profession, you're now the label you're providing something and it uh, people oftentimes need to understand what that entails and what that means and i definitely agree with your point about getting work experience um outside of the soft skills it also teaches you about yourself it actually teaches your own limits like okay you you mentioned that some of the managers were behaving sharkish um right you now know that I don't want to be that type of person. So you're, that will shape your management style or your leadership style going forward. Right. It, 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 it's all about life experiences, all about um, gaining knowledge, and it's not always technical knowledge. Yeah, and, and yeah, that's another important point you made because an actor who I helped to get into the, the film industry, cause he, was, he was more studying theater at now before. And I'd given his, given him his first shot at, at film. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's now taken his film, his acting career really seriously and gotten some decent bits. He, he, he and I had a discussion and he was saying to me that, boy, he tends to recommend new actors to come and talk to me mm-hmm. or young actors simply because he was saying that from his experience acting, mm-hmm. A lot of directors can be very cold and callous. And he was saying that his experience with me is always a pleasant experience as a director. Right. Mm-hmm. And 
that is why he recommends the new actors hey work with kevin because kevin will be a nice break in for you right if you just jump to uh you know a, a, a bigger director right off the bat mm-hmm. you might get crushed <laughs> right because some directors don't ramp to just say to you say yo all right here what you can't come off of myself mm-hmm. or yo you're giving me garbage or you know cuss bad word after you and and they don't care because that's the school that's the kind of training that they got that you know as a director you can't care about feelings you just have to be harsh and whatever Mm-hmm. I take a different approach because I, in my opinion, I'm like, you almost never have to be harsh mm-hmm. unless someone is just blatantly being an ass, right? Mm-hmm. If someone genuinely is trying to get a line, but they're not getting it, I'd rather have a discussion with the actor and try to bring out the best performance out of them mm-hmm. rather than to cuss them. And I've been on sets where some directors, because they believe that cussing out the talent will make them act better. Right? They waste a lot of time on set because what ends up happening is once you've broken your actor, it's hard to get them back. And what I mean by that is if your actor was almost there, but you're making them feel like they're far off, they then try to overcompensate. And then when they go overcompensate, they tend to go further in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, they reach a breaking point where they're just like, yeah, I don't know what this man wants, you know, so... I'm just going to I'm just going to give whatever performance and and until him just accept the performance. And I've seen it. I've seen it and said because after a while if you don't know what the director wants, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, you're just gonna to have to just keep doing something until the director says cut and it wastes a lot of time, in my opinion at least. But for some directors it makes them feel better. Not that's not me. I kinda want to go home. I, I kind of want to go home before 1 a.m. in the morning, so I, I'm, I try to just get the actors to feel comfortable and do what they have to do. Because that's when they get the best work. That's when you get their best work. Yeah, in, in my opinion, that's when you get the best work because nobody wants to nobody wants to fail you. Mm-hmm. Understand? Mm-hmm. Meaning, acting is, is a passion. If you show up on a set, chances are you want to put out your best work because at the end of the day, it's not like it's when you're working with a nine to five. This is one of the things that that a nine to five differs from a creative job. When you're working into a nine in a nine to five, your job gets the results of your work gets shadowed by the collective work of the company. And what I mean by that is, if you're an accountant in a firm, um, you're do, the, the firm is doing an accounts for somebody. If you do something really, really bad, then yes, it's going to affect your client, but your client is not going to know that you were the specific person that miscalculated this. They're just going to, the blame is going to be spread throughout the whole company, right? Mm-hmm. If as an actor, you perform badly, yes, the movie will get blamed, but you're going to get singled out as that bad actor. So you are essentially ruining your career if you decide as an actor that, you know, I don't feel like putting out a good performance today, so I'm just going to put out a really crappy performance, right? So you tend to find that actors will try their hardest to put out their best performance because they know this is a part of their resume, mm-hmm. right? They want to show this to somebody and say, hey, look at me in this particular performance. If their performance don't look good, they're not going to want to show it to anybody. 
you know, which is different from when you're working in a company and you're hidden behind, you know, other employees. Mm-hmm. And nobody's going to single you out. And nobody's going to look on their accounts and go, oh, this looks like Glenn's work. <laughs> Call Glenn for me. You know, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, yeah. All right. So we've covered, you know, a day in the life. We've covered who we are. We definitely have a understanding of um how you conduct business and what it is that you're doing. Um, I just want to move into the well final question before the bonus question. Um, and I just want to see if you can keep this a little shorter. But really and truthfully, because I, I keep it shorter because I believe you touched on it already. Um, the underlying motivation. You had stated that you are a storyteller, that you've always been a storyteller. You've always liked comics. You liked so film was a film and animation was like a natural extension of that. Yeah. But. And I, I'm interested to hear what you what you would say as your underlying motivation is because you have a a lot of self awareness. That is what I'm uh, picking yeah. up from from your discussion from the discussion so far. You have shown a lot of self awareness, so I just want to know: Have you ever sat down and reflected and figured out what defines uh, what motivates you and what defines your work, your body of work? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, that's a good question. That's a very good question. Um, I, I, I can't say I've, I, I can't say I can pinpoint to any one thing. Mm-hmm. There's there's several things that motivate me. Like for one, I I really and truly like. Um, I like I like fiction. I like fiction because I believe that you can escape your world mm-hmm. through fiction. Mm-hmm. And I say that to mean that, like, for example, I was, when I was at Monoprep, I used to get bullied a lot, right? I used to get bullied a lot. And seeing, you know, watching movies and seeing all these different heroes, it, it's inspiring, right? Mm-hmm. It's inspiring in a sense that you look... You look at somebody and you want to be that person. You kind of look up to them and so on. So one of the things that motivates me, especially with like, for example, a beacon in my roots, is that I want people to see our culture as cool. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think enough of our youth think that our culture is cool. The rest of the world knows it. We don't know it. But the other thing is that I want us to look up to our own heroes. Mm-hmm. Right? And I give you an example of what I mean by that. Um, you know, people, they love Naruto, they love My, My Hero Academia, they love Dragon Ball Z and all of that. And they don't know how great our past has been. Like one particular short film that I'm working on, which is going to be a 3D animated short film, mm-hmm. is about World War II fighter pilots. And when I tell people this, they say that they, they had no clue that there were Jamaicans who flew planes during the war. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, we, we have, we, the, the Caribbean on a whole has had some great pilots in the Royal um, Air Force right, from World War One. In fact, just the other day, they were honoring a black man to be like, the first black person to fly a plane in, in, um, in the war was Jamaican. Right? in World War One, and most people don't know that. Mm-hmm. 
right? So we're watching these American movies with these fighter pilots and we're like, oh yeah, Top Gun, Tom Cruise, yeah, blah, blah, blah. We don't realize that we have that already, right? So that's one of the things that motivates me, which is why I'm not so gung-ho about going to America and doing an American cartoon and working in an app in that kind of system. I'm like, yes, I would make money and whatever, whatever. But then what does that do for my country and my situation? Right? I want my kids to grow up somewhere where they look up to their own people. And it's important. I think it's important in every society for you to be able to look up to your own people because then it, it sets a legacy that you don't want to disappoint. Mm-hmm. Right? If I know that my father is great, my great, my grandfather is great, my uncles are great, my aunts are great, I'm going to want to be great too, right? But if I don't think my country is great, I'm either going to not want to amount to anything or I'm going to want to go abroad where other people are great. And I, I, I don't want that. So that's definitely one of my motivations. Um, another motivation for me is that I just really, really love entertainment. Um, I like I, I think anybody who knows me knows that it's hard for me to go to bed until I've watched a good story. Right? That that is me. Like I'm 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 that dude that finds stuff on Netflix that you never knew was on Netflix because I'm looking for I'm looking for a story to put me to bed. And by put me to bed, I don't fall asleep during the story. Right? Mm. I watch it till the end, and then when I'm satisfied, I go, oh, that was a good story. Let me go to bed. Right? So I, I like entertainment, and I feel like... You know that film has been in Jamaica for over 100 years? Did you know that? I didn't know it was 100 years, but I know that we had a rich, rich um, history going right back to Harder They Come and before that. Yeah, so basically, um, you know, as you know, British colony and all. They used to film a lot of pirate movies here. Britain used to film a lot of pirate movies here. Um, I don't remember the name of some of them right now, but like literally like 1918 or something like that, or 1910 may have been. I think it was 1918 was the first movie that was shot here. And I think it was until the 1950s after World War II mm-hmm. when Britain decided that, hey, they needed to rebuild Britain. They could no longer afford to maintain um, film production in Jamaica. So what they did was they set up a film unit and they sent somebody to Jamaica to teach Jamaicans how to make their own films. And, you know, we started off with doing things like um, PSAs for farmers because a lot of farmers couldn't read. And when you wanted to get them to understand things like crop rotation and pest control, etc., video was one of the best ways to do it. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we would capture a lot of our cultural stuff. We captured independence, all of that stuff. And then, of course, like rolling around to the 60s, 70s, we were kind of just like, yo, why we don't make our own movies and dramas and that sort of thing. And, of course, we had How Did They Come and Smile Orange and um, Children of Babylon and um, Countryman. Mm-hmm. Countryman and How Did They Come, big cult classics, especially the How Did They Come. To this day, the How Did They Come is considered one of the, the greatest films of all time. Right? It was even featured in Watchmen... Was Watchmen? What was I watching the other day and, and how did they come poster was in it? It might have been Watchmen, I don't remember. But anyway, um, and the thing is that we kind of fall off, you know? We mm-hmm. kind of fall off. And that is the thing. is like, to me, Jamaicans should be making more movies. 
Right, Jamaican should be making more movies. Jamaican should be going to movies more often. And it's really sad to me that Jamaicans will not rush to the theater to watch their own films, but they'll rush to go and watch a Marvel film. I get it. The production value is higher. You've grown up on these characters in comics, but that underscores my previous motivation. The fact that you're running to go and watch Spider-Man because you grew up on Spider-Man, right? Mm-hmm. But you're not going to go rush to go watch a movie about Arthur Wint, who was a World War um, soldier and one of the wor- one of the world's fastest men back in those days. And I think he ran at the Olympics in Germany. I can't quite remember what I think he did. Right? The fact that you, you don't want to see a story about that, but you want to see a story about Spider-Man. It's not that... You don't want to see a story about Kojo, but you want to see a story about Spider-Man. You know, those things, those things bug me. And it's, it's not our fault. It's just that we have not, we have not created the type of culture that Marvel has created here. Yeah. We haven't created the type of culture that DC has created here. You know, that, that, that's, that's the simple thing is that you go into the store, mm-hmm. there is no Jamaican comic to pick up and read and become fanatic about there is no Jamaican animation on TV for you to watch and become fanatic about. So I I want to change that. I, I the older I get, the more possible it seems. But I feel like I'm closer, so I'm just gonna continue the journey. If ten years from now, I'll probably set a goal for fifty. If ten years from now, this thing's still not happening, then maybe I'll just switch it up and say, oh, here what? Let me pick up back the coding and get into robotics. I'm <laughs> serious. <laughs> See where that takes me. Well, they say that everything is a ma- that life is a marathon and you know not a sprint. So I think ten yeah. years, a ten year, ten year period, a ten year run sounds like a good, a good, uh, good try. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I I feel like in ten years I should have at least three movies under my belt and maybe one animated series. Mm-hmm. And if ain't nobody buying those things, then I'll <laughs> become that bitter old filmmaker that people drag on to interviews and I can cuss off the, 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 the industry. Mm-hmm. You know, be that bitter guy. <laughs> uh, well, here's hoping that you don't end up being that bitter guy. I mean, I'm for one rooting for you. I, I, I love what you are doing. And again, a lot of your motivations I can definitely relate. Um, so, so I am wishing you all the best and, uh, Thank you again for being on the show. Hey, thank you for having me, man. Thank you for having me. All right. So just a final question, and then we wrap up everything. Because we sure. we've, we have now been recording for quite a bit of time. And oh, this is okay. we're now the longest podcast that I've, episode that I've done for this podcast. Um, I know. I chat too much. I'm sorry. It's fine. It's fine. It's been very educational. Um, now that you've known the format for the for the podcast, who would you like to hear from? From doesn't have to necessarily be uh, from Jamaica. It can be from the wider Caribbean, but a creative entrepreneur, somebody's trying to make them make a name for themselves, build up a business from following their creative passions. Who would you like to hear from? Interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, you know the thing is, I know you told me this from before, and I I should have been thinking about it. And I was, but it's like, it's so hard to, to choose because I give you an example. The first person that comes to mind, his last name escapes me. In fact, you know what? Let me do a quick 
Facebook search for him. But um, I just call him Raj for short. Mm -hmm. um, I think his name is Rajendra. Why is his name not coming up? Tell you, you know, technology failure when you need it the most. <laughs> I think it's Rajin, Rajin Ramkalawan. Okay, and what does Mr. Ramkalawan do? He is a alright, so he's an artist, right? He's and he actually does storyboards really, 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 really well. But you know, he draws quickly and his drawings look amazing. Mm -hmm. Um during during Inktober, he decided not to do the usual Inktober challenge. He did a guess that movie, Inktober challenge. So he drew a famous shot from a movie and you had to guess which movie it was. I mean they were all amazing. And I think even Disney had had been interested in his his artwork. You know, that's how good it is. And he had gone to Korea um, on an internship a few years ago. Oh. Books. Okay. So, yeah, I, he's from Trinidad. So right. he comes to mind. Corita mm -hmm. um, Singer, who is Jamaican, always comes to mind when it comes to that sort of thing. Cause she's just amazing. And, I love and her love work. Yeah, man, I love her, love her work, love her work. She, she's one of those people who, she, very, very humble, mm -hmm. and, you know, makes it seem like she's not great at anything, and then you see her work, and you want to just retire, because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> she's just that good. Mm -hmm. um, and why, thirdly, it would be a guy named Joshua Paul. Joshua Paul is a filmmaker, he's Jamaican, mm -hmm. and why him is because his i don't think his passion can be rivaled in terms of um his drive to make great films i mean i know a lot of passionate filmmakers and you know none of their passion can be rivaled but the thing with him is that when i met him mm -hmm. he's he's pretty much on a sprint to get to the top and is not an idle sprint you know, I mean, like he just came back from England doing a master's of fine arts in film directing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, before that, he had directed, I think, three or four short films. One of them had called Kinto, which was doing pretty well. And then he recently did another one while he was doing his MFA. Um, the name of it escapes me now, but he is very, very determined and no obstacle frightens him that's the thing about it like whereas sometimes i'm just like man we're going to get the money for this that don't bother him 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 just knows that if it if it's three million dollars in one for this him, every day he's hitting the pavement hunting for this three million dollars and him going get it all right yeah all right, all right. well so those I'll are those are that come to mind i'll definitely reach out to them and see if they were willing to be on the podcast. Um, uh, thank you for the suggestions, and thank you once more for being on the show. It has been very informative, and uh, I wish you all the best, man. Like I'm one of your biggest cheerleaders right now. Like I'm loving what you're doing. I'm loving the story, the motivation, and you seem like a very down-to-earth and humble and warm guy, and your work is amazing, and I'm just gushing right now, so apologies. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, man. Um, so again, thank you for being on the show. All right, man. Thanks, Glenn. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the podcast. 
Remember to like, share, and subscribe. We're trying to reach everyone with this. If you've taken anything away from this episode, feel free to reach out and let me know on social media. And remember, do the thing. Because if you don't build it, how will they play? Peace.